Welcome to the Kenosha City Church Podcast. This message talks about the significance of Israel in the past, the present, and the future. Enjoy the message. Well, here we go. This is Israel, the significance of Israel, past, present, and future. This is something I announced over a month ago. And yes, as I told Zach, it, it, there's a, this is going to be a dense, packed-in message. So if you're, if you're not a note-taker, you're going to want to take notes. You're going to maybe want to take pictures of some slides. Uh, and I, I guarantee you, we'll get you out of here on time. But it is dense, and I'm going to need every second of it. So again, this has captured the entire world, the biblical significance of Israel. Uh, the war in Israel uh, that has broken out uh, against Hamas has caught the attention of the entire world. In fact, when we were traveling uh, just a couple of weeks ago with our missions partners in Ecuador, uh, people in Ecuador were all talking about, what do you think of Israel? What do you think of Israel? It is worldwide. It has caught our attention. And someone asked me, he's like, why is a small country on the Mediterranean Sea uh, capturing the attention of the world? It seems a bit odd. Why? Because the implications are absolutely huge huge and so we are going to go through 4,000 years of history today all right if you're brand new to Kenosha City Church this isn't the typical message this is going to be at times a lecture uh, and at other times it's going to be a preach and so it's going to be unlike much of how we usually do things here but you're ready to go you ready to buckle up all right let's do it let's do it let's do it now the implication is huge because God has a promise God has a plan, and redemptive history is going to end in Israel. It is huge because three world religions hold Israel, specifically Jerusalem, as the center of their religious significance. For Christians, out of Jerusalem came the Savior, Jesus Christ, who died, who resurrected. Uh, out of, he ascended. Out of Jerusalem, we see the birth of the church. In Jerusalem, we know the end of time. The new Jerusalem will hover. We know that Israel is so significant for the Christian. For the Jewish people, it is, Israel is their spiritual home given by God. It's a place that today they go to the foundations of the ruined temple and they wail at what is now being dubbed as the wailing wall. The Jewish people look at Israel as a place where they look for the Messiah. We as Christians know that the Messiah is Jesus, but they look towards Jerusalem being the place the Messiah will be revealed. And in Islam, oh by the way, and for the Jewish people, what's so significant and what captures the eye of all the other world religions is that they believe a third temple, a third temple will be built in Jerusalem. A third temple is prophesied by Ezekiel. In Islam, Jerusalem is second only to Mecca, which is in Saudi Arabia, uh, where El Quds, or the Dome of the Rock, sits on the foundation of the second temple. Now, Muslims, they typically build their mosques on other people's religious holy sites to demonstrate dominance. Now, you can understand if the Jewish people believe the third temple must be built, and right now there is a Muslim mosque on the foundation of where that temple is supposed to be built, there's going to be a problem, right? Big problems. It would require the destruction of the Islamic Dome of the Rock. The nation of Israel is important for us as a church and as followers of Christ in general because God's history will continue to play out before our very eyes in the streets of Israel and most specifically the streets of Jerusalem. And we saw that. We saw in the streets of Israel on October 7th, 2023, 50 years to the day, plus or minus a day, of the Yom Kippur War in 1973, the last time Israel declared war. The world was horrified as we witnessed a coordinated attack from Gaza by thousands of terrorists from a militia group called Hamas. And they are the ruling group right now in uh, Gaza. Hamas tore down security fences. They fired thousands of rockets that overwhelmed the Iron Dome, that is the defenses of Israel. They invaded towns while shooting everything in sight. They broke into homes, everyday homes, just like our homes. And, and they did unspeakable acts of evil towards men, women, children, even infants and, and elderly people. And right now, 240 people were kidnapped and they are still being held hostage in the tunnels of Gaza. As the war continues, the response by Israel was a declaration of war again for the first time in 50 years. This captures the attention of the world, let alone Christians, where we know uh, that this is a place of prophetic significance. 
And the declaration of war allows the troops, according to Israel law, allows the troops to mobilize with a goal, as a stated goal, as they said, to eradicate Hamas's terror network. As we've seen played out, whether it be on social media or whether it be on the news, war is ugly. War is confusing. And war can bring clouded vision. And war is a time where propaganda wants to gather the heart and, and, and stroke the heartstrings of our heart. But let's be very clear here today. There is no moral equivalence between what the terrorists did on October 7th and the response that Israel is doing right now. None. Many people have asked why. Why did Hamas attack Israel? Well, Hamas came into power in 2007. Uh, they were e actually elected into power, although a majority of Palestinian people that lived in uh, Gaza did not vote for them, but it was, there were so many people on the ballot, uh, they won uh, the majority of the vote at that time. Hamas came into power in 2007, but even before Hamas came into control, Hamas's stated goal has always been the obliteration of Israel. You cannot, you, you cannot begin to uh, reason with a group of people who said that they want a complete people group or nation to be obliterated. And yet, we often hear, oh, let's just go to the table, that you can't. Hamas started, uh, Hamas's stated reason for the attack on October 7th was their, quote, long-held anger of Israeli policy. And get this, this is so prophetically significant. They avenged Israel because of the policy on the Al-Aqsa Mosque, which is a mosque built on the same complex of the Dome of the Rock, the site of the future Temple of Solomon. Let's take a look at this picture right here. So there is uh, the Al-Aqsa Mosque right next, adjacent to the Dome of the Rock, the same complex. This is their stated reason why they attacked Israel. Again, Israel believes that a temple will be built there. We believe prophetically from the scriptures, a Jewish third temple will be built where the Dome of the Rock is. And now Hamas is saying, we're starting this war because of this temple. I want you to know this should bring you to have a little bit of shivers, a little bit of goosebumps, because when people say God isn't real or the Bible isn't real, it plays out before our very eyes. A temple that will play a significant role in end times prophecy is being fought over right now. Now, Hamas is largely funded by the nation of Iran, uh, and it serves as a proxy arm of Iran to fight against Israel. Iran has a number of proxy armies. You have Hamas in Gaza, that is to the, the, e, to the west of Israel. You have Hezbollah in Lebanon, that's in Israel's north. You have Syria, who's backed by Iran in Russia to the northeast, uh, and uh, we also have to the south, militia group, to the south in Yemen, which just recently declared war on Israel. And then you also have militia groups in Iraq. Literally, look at that picture. Israel is surrounded right now by people with their stated goal is the obliteration and eradication of Israel. That's just the facts. Iran is led by the mandates of Allah, which is the Muslim understanding of God. It's a false view of God. Uh, and the supreme leader, the Ayatollah, who has for years called for the eradication of Israel. Here's what the Ayatollah's response was from the October 7th attacks. Here's a tweet. Uh, it's a little bit too small. I'll read it for you. He said, God willing, the cancer of the Zionist regime will be eradicated at the hands of the Palestinian people and the resistance forces through the region. See those people running? Those are not soldiers. Those are people, young people, attending a concert, running for their lives, many of whom were killed and slaughtered by Hamas. And yet the leader of Iran is praising this, the eradication of these people. This is pure evil. This is pure evil, and the even thought that people are marching uh, for the understanding of supporting this is it's unconscionable. We should never be in the business with a nation or a group of people whose goal is the ratification of a nation or a people. Do, do we agree with that? Israel, just like any nation, rightly has a right to protect themselves. Israel's right to protect, protection is called uh, into question by the media often, and even as Christians. But I want to just bring up a, a brief uh, conversation on just war. Theologian Norm Geisler, Norm Geisler, if you want to 
Read more about him later on. He speaks of the biblical teaching of just war. Now, we should not crave for war. I do not like war. I don't like it. I think we get into too many wars often because uh, uh, we, we, we lust for, for, for blood. We see that in Scripture. But yet there is a time for war. And we see here, um, let me quote him. He says this, while the Bible doesn't approve of war for every cause... And while it encourages peace with all persons, it nevertheless indicates that peace and justice sometimes requires war. The Bible does not prohibit taking, uh, the Bible does not prohibit all taking of life. For instance, killing in self-defense is justified. Exodus chapter 22, verse 2 specifically. If a thief is caught in the act of breaking in and is beaten to death, no one is guilty of bloodshed. All right, this is, this is a verse on self-defense. Uh, Self-defense is not prohibited uh, in Scripture. Norm Geisler continues, God spelled out the rules of warfare for Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 20. We do not have time to read all that this morning. Again, you can write that down in your notes. God spelled out the rules of warfare for Israel in Deuteronomy 20. While Jesus forbid his disciples from using a sword for spiritual purposes, we see this in Matthew 26, 52, uh, Jesus does not want us to convert people with the sword. That is not biblical Christianity. He urged, though, his disciples to buy a sword if necessary for protection against people that went to harm them. And you can see that in Luke chapter 22, verse 36. The Israel-Hamas war has brought a lot of confusion, a fog of war, per se. And again, there is so much propaganda and contradictory reports of what is happening on the field. And it's so important as we approach any uh, issue that's happening live before our very eyes to handle it with calm to handle it with patience and being slow to speak. This is why I waited a month to even talk about this because we needed to see what was unfolding. And there have been a number of people that have spoken on this issue and have spoken in error because they were hasty to begin to speak on this complex situation. Unfortunately, many people are getting their information today from social media outlets, uh, specifically TikTok, uh, and it's led to many unbelievable conclusions and an unprecedented rise to anti-Semitism. There are people who have claimed, in fact, online, that October 7th never happened. Can you believe that? You've heard that, haven't you? They're beginning to question, oh, th that didn't really happen, that concert didn't really happen. It is there, it is out there, it is being purported in 30-second clips on TikTok, and people are beginning to listen to that. I want you to know the algorithm online is being used and manipulated to manip manipulate our emotions and our minds. Do not surrender yourself to an algorithm. Does that make sense? People's theologies are getting messed up because they're seeing unbiblical theology because of an algorithm that's going after your heart. So, an unprecedented rise of anti-Semitic comments on conflict-related YouTube videos uh, have arisen. That, that is uh, conspiracy theories against the Jewish people. It's increased 4,963% since October 7th. Through social media algorithms, we know there is a war for our minds. When it comes to theology, sexual identity, or family, or anything biblical for that matter... Many people are being uh, killed by a death by a thousand memes. Don't surrender your mind. Don't surrender the spirit of God or the influence of the Holy Spirit to some social media influencer. Do not do that. Young people, I want you to know this right now. There are people that are spending millions of dollars to tell you how to think. Do not surrender your minds, your hearts, or the influence of the Holy Spirit because TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, or any other media for that matter told you so. Now as Christians, we must pray, our response to this war, we must pray for the salvation of everyone. Everyone in the region, whether in Gaza, whether Israel, whether the West Bank, whether Iran, or whether the Ayatollah himself. Everyone is made in the image of God. And as long as somebody has a beating heart, they have the opportunity to surrender themselves to Jesus Christ in full, to surrender themselves to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we must pray for the salvation, the salvation of people uh, and, and no matter where they're at. And there are Christians all over, the, there are Christians in Gaza right now. We need to pray for them. So I want to spend the rest of our time answering the question, why is Israel so 
important to God's plan. Now, we often hear this phrase, I just want to be on the right side of history, right? I don't want to accidentally be on the wrong side of history. Like, you heard this all the time, you know, through 2020, 2021, now this. And I'm like, the first thing I have to ask is, well, who's the arbiter of what's the right side of history? Is it culture? In most cases, yes. The right side of history is, what's the majority of culture that's awesome think, right? Or sometimes the right side of history is the history you want. The preferred history is your right side of history. None of those things are true. The right side of history isn't what you want, what I want, or isn't what the collective of culture wants. The right side of history is what is God's history? What is his history? So rather, what's most important today is we don't want to be on the wrong side of his history. That's our main point today. Don't be on the wrong side of his history. Don't be on the wrong side of his history. No matter what topic we're talking about, no matter what, what takes our attention and our minds uh, and culture, we need to say, God, where are you at in this? What is your history? Let's be on the right side of his history. So today we're going to look at uh, Israel's past, its present, and the importance of Israel in the future. All right, I said 4,000 years of history. History buffs, I don't know how I'm going to do any better than ever than this, all right? So uh, anyway, you ready? 4,000 years. Can we do it in the remaining time? Let's go for it. So if you've buckled up, make sure that you have the strap on, all right? Here we go. Israel's past, God's promise is for all people. Israel's past means God's promises is for all people. We're going to start in the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 12. If you want to uh, open your Bibles there or your app, your Kenosha City Church app, Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. We're going to go back to the very beginning. Where did Israel come from? Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord said to Abram, go from your land your relatives, and your father's house into the land that I will show you. And I'll make you into a great nation. I'll bless you. I'll make you a great name, and you will be a blessing. And I'll bless those who bless you, and I'll curse anyone who treats you with contempt. And all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. What we see in this passage is the beginnings of the promise to Israel. But I don't want us to miss this. Israel isn't somebody's idea. Israel is God's idea. The book of Genesis is an historical account of God's creation, specifically in relationship to his image bearers, that is human beings, men and women. By the time we get to Genesis chapter 12, God called out Abram and gave him four commands. The four commands is this, as we see here in Genesis 12. Go out from your land, go out from your relatives, go out from your home, and dwell in a land that's going to be given to you. With these commands will come an irrevocable promise. Look at verse 2. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless, he's going to bless this nation. He's going to bless those who bless this nation. And he's going to curse anyone who treats this nation with contempt. Now, often people ask this question. Now, wait a minute here. Okay, we know that God is making a covenant with what we will see as it becomes Israel. So is this covenant, is this promise, is this irrevocable promise for a people or is it for a land? Is it for a people or does it have to be physical land? Is it, what one is it? Well, uh, we see here uh, that it is both. We'll get to that in just a moment. It's gonna be both. And it's all peoples, verse three, from earth will be blessed through this irrevocable promise. Through this chosen people, the love of God and salvation from the world was to be demonstrated and be preached by Israel to the entire world. God loved men and women of the world so much that he wanted us who have strayed from knowing the one true God to know the one true God. And Israel, the people of God, have been chosen to give this message out to the entire world. Through Israel, a Savior would come. He has been revealed, by the way. We're not still looking for him. The Savior, his name is Jesus. And unlike any other nation, Israel was, is the only nation created by God himself 
to proclaim the excellencies of God. Israel is not a creation of a king, a dynasty, an election, a UN mandate. Israel was created by the megaphone of God's salvation to be a message of salvation to a weary world. Israel's God's idea and his promise, we will see here, is an eternal promise. Genesis chapter 17, verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Live in my presence and be blameless. I will set up my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell face down, and God spoke with him. As for me, here is my covenant with you. You will become the father of many nations. Your name will no longer be Abram. Your name will be Abraham. For I will make you the father of many nations. I will make you extremely fruitful and make nations and kings come to you. I will confirm my covenant that is between me and you and your future offspring through the generations. It is a permanent, everybody say permanent. It is a permanent covenant to be your God and the God of your offspring after you. And to you and your future offspring, I will give you the land where you're residing, all the land of Canaan, which is modern day Israel, as a permanent possession, and I will be their God. Verse seven, we see here, God's covenant with Abraham is permanent, which means it's in full force today. Again, is it a promise for a people or a land? Verse 7 and 8 is very clear. It's both. This was a promise to Israel, God's people, and for a land to be set aside as their possession. We are going to see that when God makes a promise, he keeps his promise. Isn't that awesome, church? That we know that when God makes a promise, when we read a promise in scripture, he's going to keep it. Now, we are living in a culture today where when someone gives you a promise, it means nothing. Right? Even in marriages today, one man, one woman, right? They, they, they make a vow to each other. And now I, there's even a trend in, in weddings where people don't want to give vows. They just want to read love letters to each other because they don't know if it's going to work out. What is that, right? People make promises all over, whether it's a product that promises you joy and happiness, whether it's a politician that, that promises you campaign promises, uh, whether uh, there's a promise that somebody gives you and they just don't lit up, live up to it. We are let down by promises day in and day out, and we've redefined a promise as wishful thinking or maybe. But I want you to know that when God makes a promise and he's made 7,487 promises in scripture to you, I want you to know these promises from God to man to humanity, they are in full force and you can take it to the bank. Amen? He keeps every one of them. Israel's past is God's promise for all people. Israel is God's idea. So to get a better picture of how Israel of the past connects to Israel today, let's go through 4,000 years of time. So we're going to start at 2095. In 2095 BC, Abraham moves to the land of Canaan, that is modern-day Israel, from his land Ur. By the way, a lot of people said Ur never existed. Oh, we've never found it. And then, you know, in the last 100 years, they found it and dug it up. Isn't that amazing? Archaeology just proves the historicity of the book of Genesis. So Abram moves from Ur to Canaan, or which we would know as modern-day Israel. Uh, he moved from Ur of the, of the Chaldeans. In 1880 B.C., Jacob, that is the grandson of Abraham, and his family moved to Egypt to live with their son Joseph. That is Joseph. You know Joseph, the, the technicolor dream coat Joseph, right? His brothers were uh, really jealous of him, so they threw him in a pit, and they sold him to slavery into Egypt. And while he's in Egypt, he found favor of Pharaoh, and he rose the ranks. And when Israel had a famine, they came to Egypt, and they were re reunited. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful story. And so we see here Jacob in 1880 moved his whole family uh, to Egypt, Israel became plentiful. They had the favor of Pharaoh until Pharaoh died and another Pharaoh came into place. We see this in Exodus chapter one and this Pharaoh looked at Israel that became as much as a million people at this point as a threat. So he enslaved Israel and treated them awfully. In, 20, uh, in 1270, we see 
that Israel finally was able to leave Egypt. They, they fled from Egypt, and what's known as the Great Exodus. They went through the Red Sea, fleeing from Egypt uh, and, and going from slavery uh, to the pursuit of the Promised Land, that is the land of Israel. But there were to be 40 years of wanderings because many of the people in the pursuit of the promised land got distracted by sin. Many of the people that heard the promise never saw the promise. It was the generations that came after that entered in the promised land. In 1004 to 965, uh, we, see the, we see King David. Uh, the, the, the kingship of Israel happened because uh, the people of Israel saw the kings of the world and said, we want a king. God said, no, I'm your king. And he's like, no, we want a human king. And so God's like, fine. <laughs> this could be undoing, fine. And so we get Saul, and Saul ended up uh, uh, ending very uh, badly. And then we get David. Uh, during David's reign, uh, he had a heart after God. Uh, he did sin, major sin. Uh, he, he faced repentance. Uh, his sin did have ramifications. Uh, but during his lifetime, uh, he had in his heart to build a temple of which the Spirit of God could dwell, uh, in which the people of the world could come and hear the message of the one true God. This, uh, this dream that he had in his heart never happened in his lifetime. Uh, it would be his son Solomon who would end up building this temple later on. The whole world would be given a message of God through Israel. That was the intent of Israel, to make known the one true God in a pagan world. But Israel would fail over and over and over again. We see that Solomon, his son, in 965, he began to reign. This is known as the glory years of the kingdom of Israel. By 950, Solomon built this magnificent temple. People from all over the world would come see it. There was a court on the outside of this temple called the Gentiles' Court. People would come uh, that were not Jewish, and they would hear about the one true God. Many would convert uh, and, and, and get rid of all their false gods uh, to worship the one true God. But... Things ended badly for Solomon. He fell into sin. His sin was that he had 700 wives and 300 concubines. He slept with over 1,000 women. And this was his undoing, not only because of sexual sin, but it was his undoing because it, all the different wives that he married brought different customs, different religions, pagan religions, to where he began to mix the one true God with many false gods. And God eventually said, no more. And the kingdom split. In the north he had Israel, in the south he had Judah, which is where Jerusalem was. Israel in the north would never recover. Evil king after evil king after evil king. Finally, God's like, that's enough. And in 722, because of Israel's gross idolatry, Israel was caught uh, and overtaken by the Assyrian Empire, which is northern, modern-day northern Iraq. They were conquered and they were exiled. The same would happen to Judah in the south in 586. We covered a lot of this in our Nehemiah study, if you want to go back and listen to that on our app. The Babylonians, which is modern-day Baghdad, Iraq, had risen to power. They took over the Assyrian Empire, and then they conquered Judah and Jerusalem. And the people of God were carried off to the Babylonians. And for the first time since the inception of Israel, Israel was no longer on the map. And this would be the reality until 1948. In 538 BC, there was a glimmer of hope. Many Jewish people returned from Babylon. They rebuilt a second temple. Uh, the second temple caused other waves of exiles to come in to fix the gates, fix the walls. But yet this was all done not as a nation of Israel, but under the auspice of other rulers. This leads us to today. It has been since 586 B.C. to 1948 that Israel was not on the map. Yet the promise was still in play. Which means when Israel is going to show back up on the map, you better believe the prophetic clock starts ticking. Israel's present is this. The prophetic clock is ticking. Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 14. We see the prophesied return of Israel. So this is an Old Testament prophet uh, many, many hundreds of years before Christ. Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 14. Return, you faithless children. This is the Lord's declaration. For I am your master, and I will take you 
one from a city, two from a family, and I'll bring you to Zion. And at that time, verse 17, Jerusalem will be called the Lord's throne, and all the nations will be gathered to it, to the name of the Lord in Jerusalem. They will cease to follow the stubbornness of their evil hearts, and in those days the house of Judah will join with the house of Israel, and they will come together from the land of the north to the land I have given your ancestors to inherit. By the way, that land of the north, the biggest first wave of Jewish returners was from Russia. Okay? Israel's return was promised. But before the nation would show up on a map again, something even greater and better happened. A savior was born. The Old Testament prophets speak clearly the promises of the people of Israel was not over. There would be a future time when the Jewish people would be regathered from around the world. And there's going to be a future where not only did they regather in a piece of land, but a remnant will be revived to place their faith and trust in Jesus. This is a future promise for Israel. But with the coming Savior, before Israel was put back on the map, I would beckon to say that's when the prophetic clock started ticking. The coming of a Savior. Hundreds of years before the birth of Christ, the prophet Isaiah spoke of the coming Messiah that would come not just for one nation, but all the nations of the world. Isaiah 9, 6. For a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he'll be named Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Something better was coming. It was a zag where everybody's attention was on the return of the land. God was saying, shh. I have something even better. Now think about this. When we pray to God, when we, hope, when we have hopes and desires that we hope God intervenes, sometimes we are so stuck on that thing that we want. We're so stuck uh, on this thing that we just think, God, if you don't do this, then, it, then it's over. I mean, let's go back to middle school, for instance. Your middle school crush, right? Lord, please, I pray they like me. I pray that we will date. Uh, I pray that we will never break up. God, I pray we'll get married. You're in eighth grade, right? Now, some of you, you have the eighth grade story and you're married and that's awesome, all right? But for the majority of you, aren't you glad God didn't answer that prayer, right? I mean, that's such a universal truth. I think even Garth Brooks sang that prayer, right? <laughs> yes. You see, the thing is, is when you marry your spouse, you're never thinking, if you're in a healthy relationship, right? If you're in a biblical relationship, you're never gonna be thinking, man, I wish that middle school relationship worked out. Never, right? Aren't you glad God didn't answer that prayer? But sometimes we are so focused on this one thing that we want, and this is exactly what happened to Israel. They were so focused on some kind of national revolution, they missed the spiritual revolution of a savior that was gonna come to save the sins, not only of Israel, but the entire world for all those who place their faith and trust in him. God sent a savior, born in Bethlehem, from the land of Israel. Now, before Christ, it's important to note, uh, not only did Israel have some self-rule time, the Greeks took over. In 333, Alexander the Great defeats the Persian Empire. The Persian Empire is the one that let Israel come back in full. Uh, and so Alexander the Great defeats the Persian Empire, and he sets out to conquer the world. Well, he fails, but the Greek Empire begins to expand anyway. During this time, the Bible is translated into Greek for the first time. Um, we see later on uh, in the 100s, you see the Jewish people, uh, they rebelled. It's called the Maccabean Rebellion. Uh, it's where they uh, took over uh, their area again. Uh, it's why it's, it's actually what Hanukkah celebrates, all right? But that rebellion was put down, and by 63 BC, Jerusalem was captured by the Romans, uh, General Pompey specifically. And from 37 to 4 BC, Herod, the Roman vassal king, rules the land of, known as Israel, the, the, the Israel land. And he enlarges uh, the second temple that was built and rebuilds the temple. It's why it's called Herod's Temple in the Gospels. Even though it's still the second temple, it's just rebranded. And then comes 4 BC, between 4 BC and 0, uh, somewhere in that range, 
Christ is born in Bethlehem. It's not until 27 to 30 AD, Jesus begins his ministry. And in 30 AD, Jesus is crucified by religious authorities and by Roman authorities. Jesus Christ, from the tribe of Judah, was born in 4 BC, conceived by the Holy Spirit. We're going to celebrate this during the Christmas season. To save the sins of the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only one, only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish spiritually, but have everlasting life. Christ came to die, not just for the sins of the people of Israel, but his mission all along has been the sins of the entire world. A mission the Jewish leaders, authorities outright rejected. Christ is called the stumbling block. He's a stumbling block today. You can pray to God, but when Jesus' name is brought up, oh, it ruffles feathers. Jesus said there's no salvation apart from him. He is a savior Israel looked forward to, but in the moment of his arrival, most rejected, especially the religious leaders. How often is it that you just say, man, my faith would be just a little bit bigger, a little bit better if Jesus was physically here right now and talking to me, right? If Jesus, I've heard people say this before. I would place my faith and trust in Jesus if he was right here. Well, he did that. He showed up and he's rejected. He was despised. He was crucified. For by grace we're saved through faith. Placing our faith in Jesus Christ alone forgives us of our sins. But we see here, because of his rejection, there is a partial hardening that has occurred. Scripture calls it a partial hardening that's occurring in Israel. And as a result of this partial hardening against Jesus and the gospel, salvation subsequently went out to the whole world. People no longer had to go to a location like a temple to go hear about God. The gospel message goes out. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. The only, church is not the only place where people can give their life to Christ. Many people do. How beautiful are the feet of you who goes out and shares the good news. We don't need a temple. You got the gospel. And God wants the willing to share it. Jesus Christ was born... Did his ministry between 27 and 30, and in 30 he was crucified. In about 33 AD, we see 30, 33 AD, the church was born on the day of Pentecost. It was born on the day of Pentecost. We see here also Christ's ascension and the giving of the Holy Spirit happened in Jerusalem. We read this in the book of Acts. The message of the gospel went to the entire world from the epicenter of Jerusalem. And right now we are living in what is commonly called the church age. Uh, the, the modus operandi of, of the Lord right now is to use God's people, the church, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Oh, yes, people are turning church into all sorts of different things. And that, it, listen, to define the church or to say what the church is, is not for our own making. It is Jesus Christ who has given us the long lasting and last mission before he ascended, and that is to go and make disciples. The church was born in Jerusalem and went out the entire world. The church age includes Jewish people who have come to place their faith in Christ and non-Jewish people who are the Bible calls Gentiles. Whoever, anyone and everyone who places their faith and trust in Jesus is born again and is considered sons and daughters of the king. Every tribe, tongue, nation who places their faith and trust in Christ will be saved. That is why missions is not optional, it's important. The church's job is to spread the gospel until Jesus Christ comes back. Once the church was born, the church spread rapidly. Back in Israel, in 66 AD, the Jewish revolted against the Roman rule. And as a result, the Romans came in in 70 AD. They destroyed the second temple, Herod's temple. And many of the bricks uh, from the temple, uh, so it said, were brought to Rome and were helped build the Colosseum that was built in 80 AD. And when the Colosseum came under Christian control, many people began to take bricks back, and a number of churches have been built by the bricks of the Colosseum. Isn't it interesting how these bricks just keep on going places? With this said, because of the church, 
because of the desecration of Israel and Jerusalem, it has led many people to errantly say, well, I guess the church has replaced Israel. There's no need for Israel anymore. I guess we're the recipients of all the promises. Israel's passe is in the dustbin of history. That is simply not true. And we saw this wasn't true, for a miracle occurred on May the 14th, 1948. For the first time in 1,500 years, Israel would return to the Ram McNally maps. Let's take a look to the lead up of how Israel would return, and this is important in connection to today. You with me? All right. The return of Israel would first, we need to talk about 638 A.D. The Muslim Arab conquest of the Holy Land was complete by this time. And by 691 A.D., to put a capstone on this conquest, the Dome of the Rock was built on the foundation of where the first and second temples were. And this lasted, and there was a, this lasted, there were different fights, there was the crusades, there were some back and forths, but it really has held on, and the Dome of the Rock is still there until this day. The Ottoman Empire, uh, called the Muslim period, this lasted from 517 to 1917 AD. Uh, what's important here is during this period in 1882, the first large-scale immigration from Jewish people living in Diaspora, that is the scattering from Russia, returned to the Holy Land. And in 1904, a second large-scale immigration from Jewish people living in Diaspora from Poland returned from the Holy Land. Now, the Ottoman Empire would fall after World War I, and this area fell under British control. And the British area, what they called it, they called this Palestine. I'll talk more about that word in just a moment. In 1917, though, after the British began to devise a plan, how do we give this land, or how do we divide this land to where the people that have immigrated back into the Holy Land and those that are in Diaspora that were scattered out because of the exile could come back. And so in 1917, the Balfour Declaration gave official support for the, quote, establishment in Palestine of a national home for Jewish people. This was in 1917. Now, a note on Palestine, the word Palestine. Some of you may have seen this meme uh, online. Do we have the coin? Do we have the coin picture? No, we don't. All right, so online on Twitter, uh, there is a coin, a Palestine coin, uh, and it says uh, that the bottom line of this meme is, look at this coin, it's older than the nation of Israel. All right, and so your heartstrings of this meme are supposed to be, oh no, Palestine predates Israel. I guess it really is Palestine's land. Israel shouldn't be there. That's, that's what they want you to think. But the reality, this is a coin that was minted by the British uh, for uh, this territory of which they called Palestine, all right? It is a generic term that they used during the British period. But yet this meme has had people protest in major cities in America chanting, from the river to the sea. Have you heard of that? They chant from the river to the sea, which is a hate slogan. It means the removal of Israel from the Mediterranean to the Jordan. All right, when they say from the river to the sea, they want no state of Israel. All right? Now, uh, Palestine, it predates the British. It means, uh, in the Greek, it was a Greek phrase. They'd often use it as a pejorative to the Jewish people. Uh, it means the land of the Philistines. If you were to read the Old Testament scriptures, you know one of the chief nemesis of, of Israel uh, going into the promised land were the Philistines. And so you can see here, the land of the Philistines is how you can translate Palestine. There's been no country ever called Palestine. Uh, in fact, people that have migrated into Palestine have migrated uh, from all over. There have been empires who have, uh, there have been empires who have held Israeli land uh, since the exile, but there's been no country called Palestine. Okay, we need to be very clear about that. That might seem really controversial. It's historical fact, all right? And unfortunately, we live in a world where historical facts uh, can be really opposed, okay? And so we need to look at that historical fact because this will place people's emotional memes of which they're trying to capture your mind and your heart. It could set it in its rightful place. 
1947, the United Nations approved the 1917 plan. 1947, by the way, is right after World War II, all right? The United Nations approved the, the, uh, the partition of Israel into separate Jewish and Arab states on November 29, 1947. And on May 14, 1948, the British mandate of the British colonial mandate expired in that area, and the British released the territory. And David Ben-Gurion, the head of the Jewish Authority, declared Israel's independence, and the United States President, Harry Truman, immediately recognized Israel's independence. May 14, 1948, 1,500 years after Judah was exiled into Babylon, Israel is now back on the map. Jeremiah prophesied a time when Israel would be restored. Jeremiah chapter 16, verse 14. However, look, the days are coming, the Lord's declaration, when it will no longer be said, as the Lord lives who brought the Israelites from the land of Egypt, but rather as the Lord lives who brought the Israelites from the land of the north and from all other lands where he had banished them. For I will return them to the land that I gave to their ancestors. The rebirth of Israel uh, started to put in prophecies uh, on, on uh, let's just put the RPMs, went way up. And then moving toward a day when God will bring a revival to the remnant of, pe of the people who call Israel home and people that are in diaspora. Israel's reemergence in 1948 came on the backdrop of the horrific atrocities that are against the Jewish people during World War II by the Nazis, where six million Jewish people were deliberately killed in concentration camps. I visited once such concentration camp. I visited Auschwitz. I couldn't even get through half of it without just being overwhelmed. And yet, Israel appeared after World War II. Now, since the rebirth of Israel, the enemies of Israel have tried to wipe them off the map continually. In fact, right after Israel declared independence in 1948, the Arabs refused to accept the newly established state of Israel. So Egypt, Syria, the Transjordan, Lebanon, and Iraq attacked Israel simultaneously, but within one year, Israel def defeated the attackers. It's, that's incredible. All these nations that came in to destroy Israel, the newly found Israel was able to repel the attackers. In 1973, the Yom Kippur War, on October 6, 1973, almost 50 years of the day of October 7th, uh, Hamas attack, uh, the Yom Kippur War was waged against Israel. And again, on October 7th, 2023, the Hamas attack, financed by Iran and cheered on by many in the world, uh, Israel will be opposed and will continue to be opposed as it plays a major part in God's history. And history is indeed playing out before our very eyes, even this morning, because God has big plans for Israel. And its land and its people for the entire world. Although Israel has current hardness to the gospel, his plan is to restore Israel, and history will culminate in Israel. And we see in Scripture that a remnant of Jewish people will place their faith and trust in Christ in a great revival because God keeps his promises, period. Amen? Leads us to our third point. We're doing pretty good. Wow. All right. If you're like, man, I feel like I just time traveled, me too, all right? Point is, though, I want to connect where is Israel today with the Israel in the past. Does that make sense? So let's get where's Israel going? Can we talk about the future? I know we went through 4,000 years of history, but can't, let's just go to the future now. Can we do that? All right. Number three, Israel's future. God keeps his promises. We're going to see that in the future. I believe that one of the most significant scriptures that deals with Israel's future is in Romans chapter 11, verse 1. Paul speaking to the Roman church. He said this. I asked them, speaking of Israel, have they stumbled so as to fall? Absolutely not. On the contrary, by their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel jealous. Think about this. God's people, God showing his favor to people that weren't his people, the Gentiles. It's gonna make them jealous. Well, hold up. Where are your people? What, what are you doing over here, right? He brought this partial hardening to make Israel jealous. Verse 17. Now, if some of the branches were broken off, he's speaking of Israel, and you, though a wild olive branch, were grafted in among them, and have come to share in the rich root of the cultivated olive tree, do not boast that you're better than those branches. What he's saying is, church, don't boast like, ha ha, Israel, you missed it. 
Look at us. Right? No, that's not. That's not it. For if you were cut off from the native wild olive tree against the nature were grafted into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be, here it is, be grafted into their own olive tree? I don't want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you will not be conceited. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of Gentiles has come in. What he's saying is, when God says time's up with world history, guess what happens? Israel's promises are going to be revealed. We've been grafted into the root, those of us that are, that are not from Israel. And, and he has given the message of the gospel for all peoples to share the gospel to the world. It's beautiful. And yet, Israel, a portion of Israel, will be regrafted in. The hardening with Israel is partial. Their hardening allowed the church to be born and the entire world to hear the gospel and be saved. But he's not done yet with Israel. A grand revival is coming for the Jewish people and we need to be praying for that. As we pray for all peoples of the world, we need to pray for the revival of the Jewish people as well. The occurrence of the, the nation of Israel puts us in the 11th hour of God's history. Now God, again, a thousand years are but a day to him. So I'm not gonna be like, okay guys, this is the date. I'm, not gonna, I'm, not, I'm never gonna do that. Jesus said not to do that. But he said we can know the signs of the times, didn't he? Salvation has always been by grace and faith alone. Make no mistake, even in the Old Testament, before Christ, they look forward to the future Messiah in faith. And now since the Savior has been revealed, for some it's a stumbling block. It's like, that's not what I wanted, right? Well, guess what? You didn't have faith then, right? But now the Savior has been revealed and there's no salvation found except in him. Israel's only hope and your only hope is in Christ alone. Romans 9, 6. Now it is not as though the word of God has failed because not all who descend from Israel are Israel. Let me tell you this right now. What he's saying here is this. It's just because you go to church doesn't mean you're right with God. Just because you're here this morning doesn't mean you're right with God. Just because you've read the Bible or you can say Christian-y things or even listen to Caleb doesn't mean you're right with God. See, not everybody in the church is actually with the church, right? And what he's saying here is not just because you're from Israel doesn't mean you're spiritual Israel. It's faith. It's faith in the Lord God Almighty, period. Many, just as the rest of the world, will reject Christ, but a remnant will return and receive Christ, and the promise of Israel will be fulfilled. Let's go full circle. Remember what Hamas said when they initiated their attack, the Al-Aqsa Mosque being their motivation. This is a place where Scripture talks about the uh, in the end times, a third temple being built. So the third temple, I put TBA. We don't know. We hear rumors of it being built offsite. We hear rumors of this third temple. I just want to, I want to remind you of this. I said this during the Nehemiah message. As Christians, we don't need another temple. For the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in you. When you place your faith and trust in Jesus, the Spirit of God comes to live in you. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Where the temple was the presence of God in the Old Testament, the presence of God re re lives in you. I can't even get it out. It's so exciting. He comes to live in you. To do his work. Not in your strength, but his power. His truth. The scripture calls our bodies the temple of the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. We are told through the, uh, for the prophecies, though, that a third temple will be built. Why? We see the blueprints in Ezekiel chapter 40. It's, it, you, you, want, you want to have a good read? For those of you that are, um, let's just say, um, you, you do blueprints for a living, right? Right? Uh, you... Uh, you build buildings, knock yourself out, all right? You engineers, Ezekiel 40's for you. For the rest of you, just thank God for it being in Scripture. Read it. Thank God it's in Scripture because it's a blueprint for the future. You get what I'm saying? Ezekiel chapter 40 and Daniel 12 speak of a temple that's going to be built. 
This will be a sign of the end times. Now, theologians are split when this temple is going to be built. The temple uh, uh, has not, uh, does not have a worship significance for Christians since Christ and we worship and his spirit has come to live in us. Okay, I want to get that out there again. But the temple does for Christians have end time significance. Few theologians believe we will see the beginnings of the temple before the end. Other end times thinkers believe the third temple will be rebuilt after the church has been caught up and judgment begins. Uh, we're told in, uh, in 2 Thessalonians specifically that an antichrist will broker a deal with Israel and the world that's fighting against them and he will sit on the throne and lead many astray. By the way, uh, we're going to deal with all of this in the new year, starting in February, in its second part of the end time series, we did all of Revelation. That's already on the app. It's already on YouTube. It's where we have our messages. But we are going to look at the end times now, specific things that we weren't able to get to through Revelation. We're going to look at the end times through the perspective of the Old Testament prophets, from Jesus and the New Testament writers. And we're going to deal with things such as the Antichrist, the third temple, well, how you're going to prepare, okay? We're going to tee it up for that. Does that sound good? We'll talk more about the third temple then, but there, again, you see, if the Dome of the Rocks where the third temple is supposed to be, you understand there are going to be fireworks. Now, we need to be careful with the third temple because there are a lot of even cults that build their theologies on the coming third temple, specifically the Mormons. We'll deal with more of that in the series to come in the new year. But a third temple is going to be built. God is not done with Israel yet and nor will he ever be. God will use Israel as an epicenter for the end of the history that we know and the beginning of eternity of which is forever. History as we know it comes to an end in Jerusalem. Revelation chapter 21 verse 1. Listen. It's on the screen. I just want you to listen. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne, look, God's dwelling is with humanity and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. Indeed, God is coming back and he's making all things new. The question I have, because Israel's on the map and fireworks are going off, it needs to be a reminder for us as a church. Are you ready to meet the Lord? Are you ready to be a witness for the Lord? Are you ready to go on full throttle for the Lord? God has a plan for Israel. Israel is our reminder that God's history cannot be stopped. It will not be stopped. And his salvation must go forward. And it's only found in Christ alone. Period. Don't settle for a cheap imitation. Don't settle for just doing good things in life, but not sharing the God thing, and that is gospel. For God so loved the world, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever, whosoever, anybody and everybody who places their faith and trust in him alone will be saved. The problem is this, wide is the road, many are on it, and it leads to destruction. Narrow is the road that leads to heaven, and few are on it, because few find it. But let me tell you this, if you have the gospel of Jesus Christ, you have the answer that people are looking for, whether they know it or not. So we need to lovingly, relationally, and relentlessly share the, the love of Jesus Christ with the people in our life. Amen? Because we don't want to be on the wrong side of his history. Now what? Number one, in light of all this, Get right with God. I don't know if the, the, the squabble going on, the war going on right now in Israel will usher in the end times. It very well could. There's days, I'm going to be completely honest, I'm like, oh, crud, this is it, right? And there's other times like, oh, it, it's, it's fine. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says you'll hear, you'll, you'll hear about wars 
and rumors of wars, which means you're never gonna be like, oh, I think this is it. There's gonna be days you're like, this is it. There's other days, oh, I think it's fine. And then boom, the end comes. Be ready. Get right with God now. Number two, live out the gospel and speak the gospel. There's, that, there's the uh, prayer care share circle, all right? The, the, care, the care circle, all right? Pray for those that don't know Christ. Care for those who don't know Christ. Care for them in the everyday. And relationally share the gospel of Jesus Christ to the people in your life. Lovingly, relationally, relentlessly. Number three, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We need to pray those hostages get out. We need to pray that, that people, even in Gaza, will be like, this isn't working. We need an answer. I was talking to somebody who was in Greece during 2020. Bigger story I'll tell later. But the Lord put him on an island, the island of Lesbos. It was an island where if you look at history, many people, many Muslims came uh, to be refugees. And you know what they told him? This isn't working. We need what you have. And literally, he couldn't even get to sleep. He said, Andy, there's time, it's three in the morning and I have to decide, am I actually gonna get sleep and be sane the next morning or lead someone to Christ? It was, it, it was a point of where I couldn't believe what was happening. He led 200 Muslims to Christ that were seeking refugee. Why? Because they said, what we've been living isn't working. Church, we need to pray that even that as we pray for uh, the peace of Jerusalem, that people will come to the realization how we're living, whether it's in the United States, how we're living, whether it's in Gaza, how we're living, whether it's in Israel, isn't working and we need Jesus. Amen? So, Father, we pray that. We pray that we are ready for you. Thank you that your promises to Israel are unwavering. God, I thank you that we can live in such a time as this that it seems like we even can take for granted that Israel's on the map when 1,500 years of Christendom thought will ever happen. Father, I pray that because of your witness that's beginning to even go out from your faithfulness of keeping your people, that you would share your global people, followers of Christ, the urgency of sharing the message of Jesus. That people that don't have Jesus, that don't have you, that they would, they would be like, this isn't working. So God, realign our priorities right now. Just ask God right now to realign your heart, realign your priorities. Think of those people in your life. As we continue to think of that, I want to speak to anybody in this room that you're like, I am, I'm not ready. I'm not ready to meet Jesus. You can get ready right now. Receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. If you're not ready to stand before him, you can be ready right now. How? The Bible says today is the day of your salvation. It's confessing your need to the Lord and placing your faith and trust in him alone. God made you to have a relationship with him, but your relationship is broken through sin, the wrong in your life. But Jesus Christ came 2,000 years ago, born in Bethlehem, died outside of Jerusalem. He died for you on a cross. He saw every sin, past, present, and future. And he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Uh, he breathed his last on the cross. But because he's a sinless, perfect Savior, he rose from the dead three days later. Where the Bible says this, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God rose him from the dead, you will be saved. All those who call out on the name of the Lord will be saved. Just cry out to him right now, whether out loud or in the, in the quietness of your heart. Say, Lord, step into my life. Jesus, I place my faith and trust in you. I want to be ready. With every head bowed and eyes closed, if that's you this morning, you're like, I want Jesus in my life. I want to place my faith and trust in him right now. I want to be ready. With every head bowed and eyes closed, if that's you, raise up your hand right now. Say, yep, that's me. I want to place my faith and trust in him alone. Awesome. I want to place my faith and trust in him alone. I want to be ready this morning. Jesus, I'm all in. Jesus, I'm placing my faith and trust in you. I see you. Anybody else? Lord Jesus, I thank you for those that are saying yes to you this morning. May we be ready.
Now for everybody in this room, every head's bowed and eyes closed. No one looking around. If you're like, you know what? I'm gonna up the urgency in reaching my lost family members, my lost friends. I'm gonna do it lovingly, relationally, relentlessly. If that's you, some of you are already doing it, that's cool. But if that's you, you're like, I need, uh, yes, I'm compelled to do this. I need to do this. If that's you, just slip up your hands and yeah, it's me. I wanna reach my family. I wanna reach my friends. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for those that you've touched today, that you've, you've encouraged today. Thank you for your faithfulness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode. If you would like to know more about Kenosha City Church, then check us out online at kenosha.church or on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Kenosha City Church. Lastly, if you enjoyed this episode, we encourage you to follow us so that you never have to miss an episode. At Kenosha City Church, we are not perfect people, but real people being made new through Jesus.